0: almost like a bonus this isn't it so we should just start we should just start yeah yeah so welcome this is the cinematologists it is this is probably the first time on the main show we've not done our usual intro and i'm always thinking do we need to change our usual intro
1: well we can't do it like this every time no uh because we're not in the same room every i know it's great you are here welcome to champagne socialist towers it is (laughs) uh yeah it feels odd it's a world away from my normal Surroundings, But uh, it's nice to be back in the capital. And it's really lovely to be in the same room as you chatting for the pod.
0: Yeah, I wonder whether people will notice a difference, really, when, with our remote recording. Yeah. I'm let, sure they will.
1: Let us know if there is a marked difference in how we are and how we talk to each other.
0: We're going to try and sync this without any... Uh any editing at all. Wow, so, okay.
1: Uh, that might change how I do things.
0: <laughs> yeah, because it's like, I mean, I know I, I, we have a slightly different editing philosophy. I think I hack a lot more than you do, which is interesting because yeah. you like that. You like the sort of thinking through and the pauses and all of that kind of stuff. And at times I, I, when it's appropriate, I like it. But then other times, especially for myself, mm-hmm. I'll hack myself to death when it comes to editing.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely do. There's certain things I, I always hack in myself particularly uh, so I hack probably a lot more of me than I do of you when you know I think we're probably a bit more self-conscious than yeah, we maybe. are but um yeah uh, I think you can tell there's a difference in terms of how we approach it there's always things I, I look for you know or listen for I should say rather than look for but yeah I do like the the moments more yeah. and it's weird cuz Beth started doing a podcast and she you know she hacks everything like yeah. she's proper you know, and for me, I'm like, oh, don't leave that, leave that moment in, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, but I think that's that's again another reason why I yeah. think that it it's uh it's it it is what it is because obviously we we talk differently, we think differently, and we edit differently. I was just listening to a podcast on the way down to you about someone who's got who was approached by a production company, you know, and you just realize how many of these. Podcasts are produced Yeah And they sound the same Yeah they do You know Because they're meant to Because it's a product that Yeah You kind of know what you're getting um, And uh, yeah I'm not, just not really interested in that I think.
0: No I mean I, I was listening to um, The latest episode of Phantom Power Which is a sound studies podcast Produced by a guy called uh, Mac Haygood Who I interviewed on the On the podcast Studies podcast And it is as well produced a podcast as there is out there. And it's just him because he's a sound studies guy, he's a sound recordist and all this kind of stuff. And he just had, he's just done the third of a three episode series on uh, sound studies and voices. So it's really influencing the, some of the work that I'm doing right now, because I'm doing this, I'm preparing this video essay on, on AI voices and synth- synthesized voices and stuff. Um, but you just had J- Jonathan Stern on, who's this, again, a very well known, well respected sound studies guy who had a cancer in his throat and he has this very old school amplifier around, his. he literally wears around his neck when he goes to conferences and all this kind of stuff. And it really made him think even more than he already did about the notion of mediated voices Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the fact that, I mean, one of the most interesting things on this last podcast that I just listened to was the idea that the voice that we have, that the perspective we have of our, our own voices in our heads is nothing like what other people perceive us. and and people who record and listen to their own voices quite a lot realize that and it's very and it you know when you first start recording a podcast and listening to yourself it, it can be really disconcerting mm. you hate your own voice but you do get used to it o- over time but it that sense of what is your original or grounded voice in relationship to your identity is just a a perspective, it's a mediation, you
1: know, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I was, I was thought about that the other day in terms of how much I've got used to my recorded voice yeah. and my podcast voice. Because I sent Beth a voice message, she sends loads of voice. I'm not really a voice messenger, yeah, although I watched a film where they today, where which we're going to talk about, which does send a lot of voice messages where I thought was interesting, but she played back the voice message while I was there. And it really startled me. Yeah, you know, because it wasn't in the context of headphones listening to the the edit. It was out in the wild, and yeah, it, but it was yeah, my yeah, recorded yeah. voice, and it really jolted me. I was like, I can't believe I sound like that. So yeah, that's that is that is a really interesting thing, isn't it? In terms of, like you say, that how you get used to that mediation, yeah. How you, know, you, yeah, do, you yeah. almost forget that it is a mediation in the, at all, yeah. until you get jolted out of it. And, uh, the, and the other thing is that that has changed in the last
0: like, couple of months is these mics that we're using today, yep. which are fantastic, absolutely brilliant, better than the blues. Mm. And I'm going to buy you one when we get. Out. And awesome. thanks to the Patreons for allowing that. Thank you, Patreons. Because I, honestly, I think that after using the blue and you, when you switch to this and hear your own voice, the texture is just entirely different. Yeah. And it, they are they are so good, and they're not much more expensive yeah, than, yeah, than yeah. the blues were. It just they just provide to me a a much better sound quality and just being able to hold them closer to your face it helps when you haven't got a soundproofed
1: room yeah and that's the thing is i've got a nice i've got the sound at home in that room with the mic placement just how but i can't take that mic yeah elsewhere and like trying to find a you know so it to be a bit more portable and flexible would be great and also yeah yeah, yeah, let's say have that 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 high quality sound and i do like the way these sound so i'll be i'll be i'll be looking forward to that as well awesome
0: awesome so what do you want to talk about? I mean, we're, we put a very hasty little message out, and we did get one response in terms of something to talk about, which is body horror films, which we'll come to later on maybe. I think but, so, yeah. Maybe after dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, after I put dinner on. Unfortunately, it'll be right. before dinner, but I'm not going to go into too much detail, I don't think, specifically. It was an interesting one, that, because it's like... I don't consider myself a horror and particularly a body horror fan. But then when I thought about it, I actually think I
1: am, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so it'd be, it'd be good to, to list some of those and talk yeah. about some of those films. And I thought he said about the comedy element was, yeah. was interesting. Yeah, interesting one. Um, so yeah, looking forward to getting into that. So thanks, Mark, for your suggestion. Yeah. We will get to that in a bit. Why don't we start with The Northman? And,
0: yeah, you have you watched that last night? I did watch it last night. Yeah, I didn't I didn't get around to it, so... No worries. I, I went of it.
1: opening night in Stevenage and at Multiplex. Nice cinema. And I was really surprised, actually, by how many people were there. Because um, it's a long film. It's like two hours and 20, and it's, you know, from the director of The Lighthouse. Yeah. But it seemed to pull in the gladiator crowd. You know, I've sort of seen... I saw on the poster, it was like, this, this generation's gladiator. gladiator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I can see that. You know, I can see why they're going for that. And it felt it felt like it was in that wheelhouse. I thought it was great. Um, okay. Yeah, I really liked it. Bleak, kind of, but you know, nihilistically, kind of so, and kind of grueling in terms of the story. But yeah, I thought it was just, it just looked amazing, mm. sounded amazing. I love his detail. And I was trying to think about why, why I like his films and why I maybe don't like a film we're going to talk about in a bit. And I think it's because he's really interested in stories, you know, like, it's not really ideologically driven. You know, he's driven by details and periods and the relationships between people and place, for sure. But he's interested in kind of like these archetypal stories, and it's very much sort of a Hamlet precursor story. Gotcha. Um, you know, it's actually drawn from the, the the Norse legend that Hamlet sort of derived from with a different, or takes a different track. Um, How's the lead? Because I haven't
0: really seen... This guy, I mean, I know of of, yeah, yeah. of him and and what have you, but he does seem to occupy these roles of you know, <laughs> hunky bit of meat in in a crap movie. Yeah, in, you know what I mean. That that has been sort of labelled it before. Is he
1: is he good? Yeah, because he he needs to be a hunky bit of meat. Yeah, you know, like it's a really it's a really yeah kind of primal performance. You know, he's the the wrong well, yeah, so he's the the son avenging the father um, who becomes a berserker. And you know, really vicious mercenary, and that's a really kind of difficult sequence yeah. where you sort of see him as a sort of hired mercenary. Um, but yeah, all he has to do is kind of brood and stew and sort of kill people, um, <laughs> okay. which he does really well. But he, there, I, what I really liked about his performance was this kind of physicality. Okay, he does. I mean, when he talks, he's you know, it's kind of talking in the. The slogans, you know, of yeah, like yeah, event yeah. Of, of vengeance. Um, but is
0: it not? A, would it not be a performance, say, in line with Russell Crow, which yeah. which has the physicality, but then there is a sort of vulnerability and a bit of, you know, I mean, there's interesting elements of acting presence in that film, which you know, I mean, he garnered awards, didn't he, for for, yeah. for that, which was unusual for an action role, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And I think Crow's the better performance, but I also think that the story. Expect more from Crow because of when he is when he is wronged. You know, yeah. this character is wronged as a child, sort of grows up with this kind of hate, and and he carries the hate in his body in such an interesting way. Like he's he is this kind of Hulk of a of a human, but he he, he carries the weight of vengeance in a really clear way, which I thought was brilliant. And as he grows out of hate and is sort of facing the opportunity to not hate. I think you know. I think there is a level of vulnerability there, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and he's helped by Anna, Anna Taylor Joy, right. who's brilliant. Okay, um, and I think he's such a good actor opposite people who, you know, like in um, in Blade Runner, you know, like where where there's a man who's not emoting very much. Mm. She does a lot of heavy lifting, um, and I thought she was great. Um, it was kind of gladiatory. It, you know, it's a ser- more serious. You, sorry to interrupt. And you tell Taylor Joy was she in Blade Runner? Isn't she in? No, period? no. Oh, yeah, I, think, oh, yeah. I think of Anna Diamus. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. right. What's Anya Taylor Joy in then?
0: Anya Taylor Joy. Well, she was in the, the last night in Soho, and she did the, which I haven't seen. You haven't yeah, seen. So. Um, oh,
1: she's in the Witch. The Witch, right? Yeah. Okay. So she's sort of reunited there. Um, oh, the fanboys are going to go mad, aren't they? Yeah, sorry, sorry, right. I'll <laughs> cut that. Out. No, don't, no, don't, I, can, I can take it. Um, <laughs> I'll leave it in there. <laughs> yeah, and so it, films I, I like. The, sort of the Ray Harryhausen films and it feels very much you know like a sort of classic mythical mm. story I wonder how it's going to go over with a blockbuster audience because it's much darker right but it looks incredible the the production design and the the environment is astounding it'd be really interesting to see where this sits
0: in terms of an audience because just on Twitter I was reading uh, Jason Bailey on on Ambulance you know Look the Michael at, yeah, Bay yeah. movie which has tanked in inverted yeah. commas And can take the piss and say, well, Michael Bay, you know, is he a a movie maker 20 years out of date? But Jason Bailey was saying that if something like Ambulance Tanks, which is not Transformers, it's a big, splashy, blockbuster movie that's not part of a franchise but has a major Hollywood star in. it. It's like that idea of all there is now is, is tentpole comic book adaptations or... Art house fair. That, yeah. And there is, there literally is no middle ground. So, this would seem to me to be a middle ground movie, you know?
1: Yeah, I think it's a classic middle ground movie. But I think, yeah, what you're sort of saying there is what you're sort of writing about in the newsletter. You yeah. know, like Transformers is recognizability. Yeah. Even though you can't really see much of what's going on, you kind of know who those toys represent brand his brand you know that's the thing is you're identifying brand at each point you can't identify a brand here other than his name seems very similar to hamlet so that's kind of the brand recognition is is hamlet if anything and like you say the actors are not that recognizable he's in stuff um Mm -hmm. nicole kidman but but i think it's it's tv he's known for big little lies and true blood more than he's known for anything else so um yeah it's I wonder, I wonder about the discourse and I wonder about the box. The, the people coming out, they were a bit like, what, what did we just watch? Yeah, you know, okay, like the gosh. Friday night multiplex crowd was a bit like, but not, I didn't hear any kind of out over kind of like, that might've come later, but they certainly were like, what was that? What yeah, just happened? Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, particularly yeah. because the ending is quite a strange ending in terms of what you're expecting from a story like that. It sort of ends quite abruptly mm. in a very dour way. it's a very dour film. But yeah, I was just I, I was pleased I saw it at the cinema because it looked fantastic and it was kind of compelling in its in its darkness, which was quite, which felt quite refreshing. I think. Did you like the lighthouse? I did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's my least favourite.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I I liked it up to a point, and I think it it was the, the pushing of the fabulous element of it, it only goes so far to, for me because and maybe we'll talk about this when we're talking about. Nightmare Alley and Guillermo del Toro's work more broadly yeah. where if if you're not really that fussed about that kind of world building you know the fantasy carnivalesque yeah. type of world building or stuff that goes back to myths and legends you know which I can watch that's great yeah. but it's not gonna it, you know it's not gonna super excite me then you know you get to the end and if it's a two an hour and a half movie you're like okay so I get it I get where we're going
1: here yeah. you know and the Northman feels like it's it's a it's a more epic story, so you get more of a sense of it being part of a sort of a cinematic history. You know, like the Vikings and Ben Hur yeah, and Spartacus. Yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. it feels it's because I mean, all those stories are the same story. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. you know, but it it does feel like you, you that it's more rooted in that. And I love those movies. And I sort of said like the Ray Harryhausen because there's a an interesting spiritual sort of metaphysical aspect to it, which I really liked. Kind of not overtly fantasy, but certainly. It's, it worked. Yeah. Um, it, it reminded me of the Green Knight, which I loved last year. You know, yeah, I think God, uh, I really didn't get on with that. Movie. <laughs> I love Lowry. It's yeah. just crazy. Um, and I was surprised how much I like that. But yeah. um, but yeah. it, it feels quite similar, you know, kind of, yeah. of of a piece. So yeah, you might you might. It, but it's much it's much yeah. bigger. It's a much bigger movie than that. And I think it has lots of kind of cinematic pleasures. Sure. Um, I'll be interested to see what what happens with it because it's not an A twenty four movie. It's a big Universal movie. So it, everything's on the screen. Just really thrilling. Mm.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously good friend of ours, Mark Jenkin, and there was a lot of lumping together, say, of the lighthouse with Bait. Yeah. Which and they're very different movies, very different. Yeah, yeah. Just because they're black and white and they're kind of fishing related film, yeah. yeah and they're <laughs> fishing related. Yeah. But they they are very, very different. And it's interesting how, you know, Mark has got his new film coming out, which has doubled down really on the minimalist yeah, filmmaking sure. approach. Whereas Eggers is
1: like I'm, you know, yeah. maximizing his his sort of kudos, let's say. Yeah, I'll be interested to see. Yeah, what what Mark makes of it, knowing what he hopes in the future. It feels almost like Eggers is sort of one or two steps ahead in terms of scale, but certainly Ernest Maine feels very different to to this. I don't think they'll be comparing this. <laughs> to... <laughs> no, probably not. Yeah.
0: Cool. So that's that, which I'm, I'm I am interested to see, and maybe it is one that I will go to the cinema because it, it looks like it's. Re- requiring
1: of that, let's say. It rewards um, that for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I would yeah. treat it like, uh, like you did the Batman, you know, Sunday yeah. afternoon, big movie, after yeah, a yeah. roast. <laughs> True. You know, like yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. And, I, and I think that it's a good movie for that, you know, right. I thought it was very entertaining cinematically. I enjoyed that it was cinematic, you know, even though it's a dark story and it's revengey and a bit muddy, it, it felt like I was watching a piece of cinema and seeing it in the cinema was great for that. Marvellous. Yeah. So, again segueing off off
0: from that i think what's interesting is that when we were having a talk, chat about what we were going to talk about because we wanted to with this episode and you just turning up we wanted to not really have a overarching theme or not worry too much yeah. whether there was one but you said that you had a you know i'd said i was going to watch nightmare alley and you said you had a guillermo del toro rant ready to go <laughs> and then i started watching nightmare alley and quite you know really enjoyed it in yeah. many ways and i, I mean the you know I hate, I hate when people say oh I have a problem with this movie like you know Guillermo del, del Toro gives a shit but you know what I mean it's like um, I enjoyed it but the, you know I spotted things that, that I, I found you know that I didn't enjoy so much or I would critique it for but you know what's your what was your sort of uh, the, the kernel of your rant and then you could expand into it yeah, yeah. lean
1: into it um, I was just I was angry at the end of it um because I'd, re- I'd liked it, you know, like right. I-, I thought, I mean, it looked incredible. I just thought this film looks beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful films I've seen in an age. Um, and I liked the kind of the languid pace of it, you know, I liked kind of just sort of like trying to soak into that world. What I was angry about at the end was it was like, I, just, I felt nothing. Like I just, I was, Yeah, yeah and yeah, yeah. throughout, I was constantly being jolted out of the, the atmosphere by the sense in the performances and the kind of, the overarching tone of the film that that what i was watching was meaningful you know right okay and i was i was like and it, it happens sometimes with films it happens with his films where it's almost like it's saying it, it's, it's telling me this is important you know that this is a really important piece of work and i'm like like the revenant you know or and you and you know like the shape of water like i i, I just i'm not getting that like yeah, yeah if this yeah, feels yeah. like a genre film you know the reason one of the reasons i enjoyed the north man so much because it's so obviously a kind of an ancient story yeah <laughs> and it's yeah, just yeah. like this is the story like you can read into you know there's probably a political reading of it um but it, I, I didn't feel like the film was presenting me this kind of like important human story other than like this is what people are like you know um and have been for centuries and centuries so i was kind of like why are you constantly making me feel in these performances that there's something here that's and, it, and then that, then it was it just felt so controlled it felt so controlled and so airless by the end of it I was just like it literally dissipated as soon as it was over and I was just like oh that's it felt like a missed opportunity right that's interesting
0: because I didn't I read it more as leaning into that tension between the sheen of it the hyper stylized element which I think relates back to the the almost claustrophobia that you feel that you know, it's so controlled, yeah, as you yeah. were saying. Yeah, yeah. But then that the there was a sort of tension with that and the scuzziness of the subject matter and and trying to lean into the more salacious and you know grimy elements of film noir, mm. which you can never. Reproduce Night of the Hunter yeah, you know, yeah. j- Simply because on the screen it looks amazing And I watched it here and again A little bit like The Northman It's kind of like why do I Why was I not compelled to go and see this mm. And I and I think again it's it's Del Toro for me yeah. I'm not compelled to go and see his work I went to see The Shape of Water again, <laughs> Admittedly because it was up for awards And I was like you know I want to try and get a few of, the, uh, of these movies in Before they, before they disappear And I enjoyed that again on a very surface level and i enjoyed this more <laughs> on for its surface element it just just looked looked fantastic it, and it did the story again as a screenwriter i thought was very processional and it was just sick you know signposting stuff like traffic lights big time you know the the narrative I, i've just kind of oh that's going to come back and it yeah. did and that's going to come back and it did and then it it does that thing where you have to suspend your realist approach to to filmmaking say, this is not a realist movie. So you can't sort of say, well, nobody would act that way because it's just so obvious what is going to come next. Yeah, yeah. And and I agree with you. I mean, I've written a note down here. It's it's something that wants to be sophisticated and ambivalent is essentially an airport novel, a beautifully written one. Yeah. So it, it, in a sense, I think yeah, like yeah, a yeah. coming... No, but I didn't get annoyed by that. Like you did, if you see what I mean, you know? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah and, 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 I, and I don't really know where that annoyance comes from. And I think possibly it comes from... An unfa- it's, unf- it's not really at Del Toro or the film, really. I mean, it's a lot of it is students, you know. You know, <laughs> it's, which, all it's all students. All um, students. <laughs> you know, in in a sorry, sense, sorry again. Yeah, <laughs> only in a sense that he he has become this kind of leading light filmmaker, and like most of the filmmakers that students sort of hold up as their leading lights, you know, the Tarantino's, the Edgar Wright's. The Inaritus, they they just seem to be getting less and less interesting as they go on. Yeah, Which not yeah, yeah, to say yeah, they're yeah. not capable of good work, you know. I enjoyed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for the most part, and I really loved Edgar Wright's Spark stock. I think that's wonderful, but it's like there's no critical engagement with it. So I, I was probably watching it prejudiced, and I tried to watch it as I didn't watch it at the cinema because all the students went. At the, you know, I was like I didn't watch it during awards. It was just on, and and I really wanted to just let it s- wash over me. And when it started, and I was like, wow, this is.
0: Yeah, this, this is Gorgeous incredible. Like, you know, I mean, the, the production design
1: And cinematography yeah.
0: Are just so I mean, the, they are controlled And it's Like you said That's a good word But it's also so specific Yeah And every Every kind of Light position
1: Has been decided To within an inch Of yeah. his life, you know And that was a thing I think the thing is Like that I like I like his You know, I love Pacific Rim <laughs> You know But there's a messiness to it Which I like And there's a messiness To his Hellboy films Which I like And I kept thinking Of the prestige You know because i think they're quite similar but i get remembering the experience of seeing the prestige and really having a tension about where's this going you know like because i think it's a better written movie and here i was like yeah all i can do is look at it because i know where i know yeah, it because yeah, i've just yeah. this like you say this scene particularly the scene with defoe where they drop off the the geek i yeah. was like oh you know like yeah. you, it, it's like you, you you don't trust anyone to 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 get the significance of any scene. So you're kind of, hey, this is yeah, a yeah, really yeah. important scene. And I'm like, oh, now I know.
0: And Honestly. that's like an hour
1: in, if that. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, I've got another hour and a half of this.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I mentioned earlier on The, the Last Night in Soho. They could be all of a piece in terms mm. of absolutely surface beauty to look at cinematically, completely in love with cinema as a network of signs or symbols. Yeah. yeah. And almost in when it comes to narration and storytelling absolutely obvious so you know there's so many references that even seasoned film goers lovers teachers like us mm. would have to look up but yet the sophistication doesn't seem to be there yeah and I mean, it's interesting. I was actually going to read read this out to you. I'm just going to make a little move in my flat here. It's got a book handy. So I'm reading this, Okay. right? Which is, for our audience, it's Martin Amos's novelized autobiography. And reading this, it's kind of reminded me that there, there should be an aspiration to identify objective beauty or at least recognize and and analyze or conceptualize why art is good or not, right? And the content of it should in many ways be secondary to that. So Martin Amos, think of him as a character. Is he racist? Is he sexist? Some people would say, would take offense at certain, way, certain ways he has of articulating things and definitely therefore maybe thinking, you know? He's an old white guy. And he has... You know, he comes from a specific, a specific context. However, reading this, you just can't deny the literary craftsmanship. Yeah. It's as good as anything I've ever read, yeah. really. You know, his his way of crafting words. And, you know, this is both joyous and infuriating because on the one hand, you know, it's the effortless talent. And, you know, I have a thing about that. It's like, you know, how can you compare yourself to some something that that's good? And, and then you know, the problem of when he's offensive, you're like, why are you so good? And then you're this offensive, do you know what I mean? But there's one passage I actually wanted to read to you and it speaks exactly to what we're talking about here. So let me just find the right page. So this is it. So listen to this, but this is about literature, but I think it relates very much to what you've just said about cinema. So he says here, and this is, he's talking about the relationship between um, the the writer and the reader, okay? Detectable 2 has been a recording of the relationship between writer and reader. In the plainest of times, a relationship of inexhaustible complexity and depth. We like difficult books, literatures used to claim. And this supposed preference turned into a rallying cry for the cause of high modernism. Perhaps we did indeed once like difficult books, but we don't like them anymore. Difficult novels are dead. We no longer court difficulty, partly because the reader-writer relationship has ceased to be even remotely cooperative. Whatever you do, don't expect the reader to deduce anything. I learned that the hard way with my 11th novel from 2006. One of its protagonists, an American girl called Venus, is black, and her ethnicity is shored up by so much internal evidence that somehow I felt it would be ham-handed to spell it out. Surely, Venus Williams was doing the job for me. The result, not a single reader I'm aware of has ever doubted for a moment that Venus is white. Mark my words, every piece of vital information has to be clearly stated in plain English. When it comes to inferring and surmising, readers have downed tools. The unreliable narrator, once a popular and often very fruitful device, has given way to the era of the unreliable receptor, The unreliable narrator is dead. The deductive novel is dead. Now, reading that, honestly, it it reminds me a lot of the conversations we have about Mm. what filmmakers make. So, is it the filmmaker's fault, or is the filmmaker responding to an audience that is not trained to be able to deduce things in the way that
1: perhaps we would expect or like? Mm. Yeah, that's really, that's that's a really fascinating question.
0: The problem is I'm generalizing massively, and so is he. And you kind of can't do that, you know.
1: No, but I think that one of the, you know, I guess one of the one of the reasons I really was a bit angry at Nightmare Alley was that at the end of it, at the end of two and a half hours, it asked nothing of me. No. In and it it was all, it was all presented so easily, and it, it was all text. And and I think you, you look at the two films we've covered in the last two episodes, Boiling Point and Happer's Comet. The other end of the scale from this film. But sure. you know they they're holding on to attention, you know, yeah. that they, that that is part of the experience of watching those movies. And that is that was exciting, you know, and that was rewarding because it's it's inviting me in cinematically. It's not dragging me in, you know, I don't feel um and I wonder how much of it is the filmmakers, maybe not even conscious, you know, maybe it's unconscious. Maybe it's the the result of a career of notes and, you know, notes and reviews and yeah. these things creep in, you know, this, the rough edges get smoothed away. And I think it happens in at that level for sure. And I, I guess it's just, I'm not that interested in it. My, my worry, I think, is, is knowing that talking to students about it and seeing that that's, they're responding to those films is not bad. Like, but... The, <laughs> You know, if we're going to say actually, well, actually, these films are better than these films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and that you know this is more interesting, and it's you know there's there's more going on, and you know then that the, the worry is that that if you take this in as an as the example, hmm. what's your work going to be like? Yeah, 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 well, if, yeah. if it's responding to this in any kind of way, conscious or unconscious, that fills me with dread.
0: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. how can you make a no budget seven minute student short when? the sophistication and the money that goes into the production values to create the sheen, which is the thing that yeah. is good about these films a lot yeah. of the time, then how do you get students to become sophisticated to make, you know, difficult stories or stories that, that don't reveal themselves in obvious ways
1: in that way? Yeah. It's very hard. It is really, really hard. But then I think also like, you know, Nightmare Alley as a film which is recreating moods and textures that were done very cheaply and very quickly, and weren't, It's it. I always, you know, like it's and the Tarantino thing's the same, it's taking exploitation, it's taking noir, and it's taking all these things which were produced very, very quickly on the hoof with no budget and no time where innovations were made by necessity, and is spending three weeks and all the money in the yeah, world yeah, yeah, recreating yeah, yeah. that. Yep. You know, it doesn't feel like it's doing the same thing, and that is missing. You know, and I find that interesting. And that, yeah, if you were to look at the original like Morali students, that's what students would be looking at. That was shot really yeah, quick. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You know, small crew. Yeah, but they're not. They want, like you yeah. say, they they want to they want to live in this luxurious world, and it felt like a luxurious film in all the wrong ways. In a way that, again, to think about the Northman, you know, is it looks like the characters are having a hard time in a way that. When I watched The Revenant, it looked like the actors were having a hard time, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and we were give told, him an Oscar. He's cold. <laughs> exactly. You know, it was so like, isn't this, uh, isn't this a, an amazing feat? Yeah. And it's like I don't want to. I don't want to see an amazing feat. I want to yeah. feel it. But I want to feel like I'm witnessing something that's that is the filmmaking is just different. I get, you know, and maybe that's just a, an accumulation of the amount of films and and also you know remembering that. Del Toro is a filmmaker that we follow generationally, you know, from Kronos and yeah. Devil's Backbone, which yeah. were, you know, low budget, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, and I, I don't begrudge him that at all. Um, it's got nothing to do with that. And like I say, I enjoyed it. And I like Bradley Cooper, you know. I, I, I enjoy watching him. The cast was great. Yeah. I think it, there was there was a lot of other voices that were, were invading. And at the end, it was just... I, I, it literally, as soon as it finished, I was... No, no, that's it. You know, I agree. Yeah. I, I agree. And maybe you you set
0: a little bit more store by Guillermo del Toro as an, as an auteur than I would, you know what I mean? Because with the, I mean, that was the big disagreement, wasn't it, over uh, Pacific Rim? Because you see, you can see the directorial elements yeah. of that, whereas
1: I'm kind of like, mm, I'm not sure, you know? <laughs> well, that's the thing, because I was going back from, yeah, Kronos, Devil's Backbone, yeah, Pan's yeah, Labyrinth, yeah. the Hellboy films, which I really enjoyed. But then if I look post-Pacific Rim and I look at Crimson Peak and I look at, Shape of Water, and I look at this, I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's whatever happened. There's a level of comfort which I find uninteresting. Yeah. You know, that yeah, that doesn't make me think. Oh, his old work is better, but certainly makes me less interested in seeing sure what he's doing. But then also knowing I have to go into the classroom and students want to say how great it is, and I'm yeah, like, well, yeah, okay, yeah. well, why? What is it? Okay. What is it you think is great about this? But they, as we've said before, yeah. it's look great. Yeah. Yeah. What an amazing cinematography, and it was yeah, yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah beautiful.
0: Great, so let's uh, take a little break. I'm gonna put the dinner on and uh, we'll see you in a few minutes. If you enjoy The Cinematologists and think the podcast is valuable to you in some way, please consider supporting us. You can do this by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or Good Pods. This really helps us get traction and visibility. Or you could share an episode on your social media. Any reviews or comments we get, we do tend to discuss on the main show. Or perhaps you could just tell a friend or a colleague about the show. Research suggests that the number one factor that aids podcast discoverability is personal recommendation. So if you have a friend or a colleague who you think would like the episode, please let them know about it. Also, for less than the price of a coffee, you could join our Patreon site. You will get access to our bonus podcasts and our monthly newsletter, in which we write an extended article and give a host of cultural recommendations. Corporate money is flooding into podcasting. And while there are brilliant shows being produced in all genres, there is a lot of formulaic content and celebrity chit chat, which just sounds like mediocre radio. The uniqueness, authenticity, experimentation and passion that made podcasting something unique and different is being overwhelmed by corporate formalism and institutional gatekeeping. We are a fully independent, ad-free podcast goes back into making our product better. Thanks very much for your continued support. And now, back to the show.
1: All right, so we're back and the dinner smells good. Uh, I'm very excited, very hungry. Looking forward to to that um, and food is obviously you know part of the part of the recent history of the podcast um, from our Boiling Point episode which is, out, which is out there did that inspire you to get back in the kitchen you're always a bit of a kitcheny person anyway oh, no, no? You like I to cook, cook all so, the time yeah.
0: I cook all the time and and again it's it's funny but the, the reflections on doing the last podcast it, it just reminds me that I go I go to re- we go to restaurants as regularly but not super regularly because I just get disappointed yeah and a lot of places you spend between seventy and a hundred quid for two people these days. Yeah. And it's average. Yeah. And now, you know, I'm very lucky, privileged enough to be able to have live in this place here, but also um, you know, to, to we bought a house and there's places around that that just have amazing uh ingredients, you know, yeah. amazing produce that you could buy. And, you know, whether it's following recipes or doing my own thing. You just can make amazing stuff and not pay through the nose. I'd rather get that, that get those for and then buy an expensive bottle of wine. That's the way around it for me. And I'm I'm somebody who I, I don't know when I decided this, but it's kind of like you know I don't spend a lot of money on kind of expensive stuff. Yeah, I haven't got that kind of desire to own huge amounts of things. But what I do spend my money on is food, <laughs> yeah. you know, good food and good yeah. wine, and that's that's what I think is more important to me. When yeah, it comes yeah. To what I'd spend my money on.
1: Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to sampling some delights in a bit. Um, awesome. And it, keeping on the Boiling Point theme, you said that you'd watched a new release and it was interesting in the light of Boiling Point, which was zero fucks given. Yeah, this is this french Belgium co-production from
0: um, directors Emmanuel Mare and Julie Lacoustre. And it stars Adele Exarchopoulos, who is... Well known from blue is the warmest color, and interesting actor. I think in terms of she's remained essentially within a kind of European art house context, whereas Lea Sedu obviously has become a international star. Really, and I don't know whether that may be a conscious choice or whether there isn't a sort of you know it's always difficult. Whether I don't think it's anything to do with acting ability because I think she's a very good good actor, and it, and especially in this role it's quite similar to Blue is the Warmest Colour in that it's not quite coming of age, but it is that sense of a young woman trying to navigate her relationship with her family, the the world of work, the corporate world, world of work, and her own sense of herself and her attachment to people around her, or a detachment as it is in this movie to people around her. So it's basically set in the transient life of a low cost airline and she is an air stewardess and air hostess for this airline. And what's interesting about it is again, in a very different way, it goes behind the scenes of that particular industry and, and presents a sort of rawness of it. And very different in terms of the way that it's shot structurally, because obviously there was the one take with boiling point, whereas this is a lot of fragmentary vignettes is the wrong word, but but little parts in the story that are cut and jumped to that are never quite completely finished, sort of snapshots, I would say, snapshot scenes. And what's interesting, I think, for me was, you know, that you get a lot of the tyranny of worker surveillance working for a a company that's all about them wanting to make money out of you selling, for example, you know, perfumes and food and all of that kind of stuff. So there's a regimen around that. And then there's very very kind of tight controls over presentation and the way that you have to behave and all this. And this is like at the bargain basements sort of Ryanair type airline. And there's always this sort of, I think her her kind of dream is to go and fly on Emirates and a, a lot of her and her co-workers sort of talk about that getting to Emirates and because that seen as kind of having a classiness and a higher kudos and, you know, you need, she, there's this one great scene where she's discussing that she doesn't feel that she sort of represents what, This airline requires in terms of languages, but also, you know, being classy in in quote unquote. So it's really interesting in terms of class elements of that, which is you know intersected with sort of femininity and gender and these kinds of things. But also that that there is fleeting relationships. She she she's obviously moving from country to country, from place to place. So she has these fleeting uh, relationships, and there's drug use and alcohol use to kind of deal cope with the the aspects of loneliness. And then you get these the scenes that allude to a problematic relationship with the father who's both disappointed and disapproving at the same time. Uh, I think her mother is dead, but yeah. we never get, again, it's not fully explained and you have to work to kind of see that. And it's all exclaimed through the interiority of her exterior moments. Like there's just this great, there's a couple of really standout scenes. One is where she gets a phone call from a, a mobile phone operator mm. asking her to change contracts, and she signed with her mother's name, and she just kind of like starts crying while she's on this phone call. It's a, just a beautifully subtle piece of acting. And then there's this other moment where she's she's trying out. She's trying to pass a kind of cabin manager's exam, and they have the the, the, the really well sort of structured scene where all of these all of these air stewards who are trying out for this exam are practicing their smiles. And she literally can't smile for the camera. And off screen, you have this tutor who's telling her, you have to put all your emotions to one side. You are only here for the customer. And it's just a great piece of acting, her pretending that she can't can't smile. It's really, really well done. So yeah, pretty raw like i say it, it does show you the the opposite side of this industry that has a facade a little bit like you know the hospitality yeah. industry with a with a really powerful central performance i thought
1: yeah i like it a bit more now <laughs> okay you didn't like it well not it's not i didn't like it um oh, i was so depressing yeah it's depressing like it's so bleak and you just it's you just like i think what i struggled with was that it had a few sort of i thought cinematic flourishes but otherwise it just felt like this relentless reminder of how just how screwed up the world is and that this is work now and it's just miserable and she's she's great like she you know she really carries just the the shittiness of it you know of her her life in a really fascinating way I just I just I think yeah there were moments where I was like I want it to be a bit more like this it didn't really seem to know how it was gonna do the thing you know there were some lovely quiet moments like where she's with one of her relationships and it's a really lovely shot and she's just like He's like, do you want to go and take a shower? And she's like, no. Yeah. And there's just there was a really nice kind of like, like feeling in that scene, yeah. which um, no, I, I didn't dislike it. I just thought, yeah, it was it was hard work, but so if, you know, it's I, all in her performance. It's though, all in her performance. Yeah. yeah. And what was really striking was the ending for me, where yeah. So you know, there's, there's this really icky. She has this really icky sort of video interview <laughs> for a, for a for a private uh private airlines essentially yeah. like private jets and sort of elite um elite sort of private airline and it's just really icky and then like he says can you come to dubai and yeah you get this this really strange scene which i really like the end scene where she's in dubai and it's covid you yeah know, they shot it during covid which was interesting because obviously there's no real sense of that elsewhere it's no, like only no. in the final scene but the, f- the whole film is about like a aspiration you know, like you should aspire. Like she's aspiring, like her friend's aspiring to Emirates. She's not, she's not really. No, no, no. She doesn't, you know, she's kind of a bit more dis, a bit disconnected, but there's this sense of you should be aspiring to this thing. And even in your job, you should be aspiring to spy on your colleagues and report on your colleagues. Yeah, you should yeah, be aspiring yeah, yeah, to be yeah, better. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Set, like it's all aspiration on the, and it's like the aspiration is Dubai. And it's, it's this symbol of kind of, that's where people want to go on holiday. And you get, and I'm watching this scene and it's such a blank scene and it works really well because it's like, is this Dubai? Like it, it's horrible. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, there's all these people filming this fountain show, which is dreadful. And it's like, wow, this is this is the aspiration that get here, spend money, look at this thing, which is objective. You know, we're talking only about what's objectively good and bad art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is objectively bad. Like yeah. it's a terrible pop song. They've managed to make some water move in interesting directions, and then it's like skyscrapers. Mm. And like you just feel like this is what we're this is what we're being told to work towards, and it's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. she doesn't know. She doesn't know how to feel about it. And we don't know how to feel about it. And I thought, I really liked the ending. It was like, it made me feel, again, angry, but, but angry at the, the right things. Um, but
0: this is a massive critique of global capitalism. It's a huge critique. But it places it, you know, embodies it in this particular person who yeah. is able to carry she the weight of yeah. that, which is wh- why I think it's a, it's, yeah, it's a yeah, good yeah. piece of work. I understand what you're saying about like the 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 asides with the family and stuff like that, maybe there wasn't enough
1: kind of connecting tissue, maybe of that. Perhaps it wasn't. It was more just. It wasn't really that. I like the 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 fragmented bit, and I like the fact that you do kind yeah. Like you kind of know that her mum's dead, but she doesn't really know a lot about it. It's clear that she fled at the time. and you know the family is not not getting on and struggling to communicate and the father yeah the father's kind of telling her about her life Yeah, yeah it's clear yeah. his life is in free fall you know and the
0: sister as well is um, kind of at home and it's kind of like this difference between she's sort of justifying being off being an air and making it sound like oh I'm here one day I'm in here another day yeah. I'm over Europe and they're always so glamorous and then you see what she has to do and we know it's it's not, just yeah, not yeah.
1: glamorous at all you know yeah, it was more just like the, the I guess the decision to just film it the way they did just felt like I was just I wanted a bit more of a cinematic yeah. approach because it's in her performance yeah and when the camera's on her it's like you know she yeah, she, yeah, yeah, she can yeah. just hold it so well that that was it really it wasn't really the I didn't like it it was just I was I wanted it to yeah 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 yeah, yeah. because again you just like it's such a stark reminder of how crappy the world is I wanted I wanted an interesting kind of visual and that, that there were flourishes of that you know there's some interesting sequences where you you know they've obviously I think they probably you know and this is i imagine it was like low budget shot it quickly yeah you know it's a very indie movie and there are glimpses of where they've obviously found a moment to capture yeah, yeah to yeah, capture yeah, yeah. that kind of alienation yeah. um word of the you know in For a sure. really interesting way so yeah but but listen you talk about it actually i'm like yeah i'm actually i think that i think there's there is more to it than than i probably thought initially when i when i only watched it this afternoon so yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. and you can still catch that on movie
1: Yes, and, and make sure you do. Um, okay. But gird your yeah, loins. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> it. I
0: mean, if you want Saturday night date movie, <laughs> it, it isn't that. You it know? ain't that. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: Okay. Body horror. Body horror. Uh, yeah, so Mark asked, he said he just watched Tatane um, and said he was a bad cinephile. <laughs> and uh, that made me feel <laughs> bad. Bad cinephile. Because I haven't seen mean. it. Um, You're a bad cinephile. I'm the worst cinephile, like the worst witch. I will. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I have not yet. Um but he was sort of asking about that, about kind of body horror and comedy and the relationship between the two and other examples. And That's um, the best thing about Titane for
0: me. I don't, I'm not, I, I liked uh, the previous film Raw yeah. a lot more than Titane. And and the reason, again, was interestingly, was I, I thought it was sort of incoherent in a sort of story sense. Mm. And then weirdly, it kind of changes gear in a way that didn't really make sense to me. It became about something else. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where I'm like, there's a lot of really amazing images in this and there's a great central performance, but I'm like, but what, but what's this about actually, you know? And, and like there's a sort of really overtly surrealist moment early on, you know, and the whole thing is kind of, you know, it's body shop weirdness. It's kind of not realist at all, but that then gets to put put to one side again at the very end, it becomes about something else. So it'd be interesting from, from a story perspective, what what you Mm. make of it. But yeah, I was just thinking about some of the stuff. I mean, we've we've covered a lot, quite a lot of body horror on the podcast now. I mean, I'm thinking about like, like, for example, you know, Eyes Without a Face, yeah, which is one of my favourites. And probably my favourite body horror of all time is Cronenberg's The Fly. Yeah, that's I would the
1: say. First I-, I noted. Yeah, I fucking love that movie. <laughs> that's amazing. That film. It is amazing. Um, did we do that on the podcast? Or, no, no, we didn't. We did I a don't... talk on that. We yeah. we, we did a double bill, didn't we? We programmed a double bill of that and the thing. Yeah, it was part of that sci-fi season. The BFI sci-fi season down in Falmouth, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, you
0: did The Thing and you... I did you The Fly. You talked about, you talked the, about fly. the Fly with The Thing, didn't you? Because
1: I did Rollerball. You did Rollerball and I did The Thing... Did I do The Thing on The Fly? I definitely did The Fly because we talked about Jeff Goldblum as a yeah. scientist and uh, which is where I think a lot of the comedy comes from is just the casting of, yeah, 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 of yeah. Goldblum. Um And yeah, no, I, I... I and, and I think The Thing is a, is a great body horror as well but not as funny
0: no yeah, so no. Go, go on yeah so The Fly The will, Fly I mean video drama and Existence I mean you, you watch those three for kind of mainstream body horror via Cronenberg and I'm really looking forward to Crimes of the Future I was on I was on Mary Wilde's podcast and she asked me what are you looking forward to and I literally couldn't think of a thing because I haven't I haven't sort of been to Berlin. I haven't sort of looked around. It was just kind of like, oh, my my God, now I'm the bad (laughs) cinephile. So, yeah, completely useless. But I am looking forward to that. Um, And my other big one, which I always reference, is Demon Seed from 1975, which is a film that I think gets more and more dangerous Mm. to to ask people to watch (laughs) the the more time goes on because it is shocking in parts in a really weird 70s misogynist kind of way you know and dodgy kind of way but yeah, an yeah. amazing film though
1: yeah absolutely and we, you programmed that as well didn't you or you talked about that no, I, we did
0: it on, I mean I did it a couple of times at, um, on modules yeah yeah in Falmouth um, remember we we definitely watched it yeah. at some point point. Yeah.
1: Um, and talked about it yeah yeah great great example
0: I'm, I've never been really sort of into this idea of body horror for its own sake like the torture porn stuff like Human Centipede or mm. You know, what's it, a Serbian film? I'm mm. not fussed. And like, even now, I, I'm look, as I'm getting older, I'm more more squeamish than I, I ever was. Um, and the, But the other thing that I just wanted to mention was the, the visual artist, Mariana Sinit, who we had on the show mm. for the video essay yeah, episode yeah, yeah. years, you know, a couple of years ago now. Her work is very interesting. I, I, if you're into kind of the, the idea of the body of, uh, uh, as a vessel for getting in touch with, senses of the self that, mm. that are dark and, and problematic and sort of icky and this kind kind of thing. And sort of playing around with that kind of stuff. That's Mariana Simnit. So mm. Google
1: her her work in this area. Absolutely. My list was quite similar. mostly Cronenberg. Um, yep. Because I think that it is that, I think his films are very funny, you know? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, that yeah. Videodrome is very funny. And I think a lot of the time there is a, it doesn't make it palatable, it's probably the wrong word, but it's certainly it doesn't make it any less kind of shocking, but it certainly changes the relationship to the horror when there's this clear satirical underpinning to it, you know, and I'm thinking of something like Naked Lunch as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, where there's a clear relationship between the bodily and the um, the character and the, just the, it creates this really interesting, unstable space of what's what's kind of going on, what's real and what's not, which I really like in his work the other thing that I thought of weirdly was uh, Bruce Robinson's How to Get Headed Advertising oh right yeah, which yeah, is yeah. a kind of comedy very dark comedy with Richard E. Grant but it, you know how, where the the kind of the talking boil you know yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I just thought it's was
0: just like, horrific isn't it that oh my god it is
1: um, and it's a film I haven't seen in a long time and it did make me think I'd, I'd, I'd like to revisit that because that that was a really striking film and again as a British film yeah a really interesting yeah, uh, yeah. piece of work and yeah just again kind of shocking and grotesque um yeah, yeah, yeah. but very very funny so those those
0: are the ones I, I you've like you've been awesome. ever, ever into the um you know the early peter jackson stuff yes schlock stuff
1: you know? yeah yeah bad taste and, yeah um yeah big fan of bad taste and i brain dead yeah i mean peter jackson's similar to what we were talking about earlier really like the you know I really like heavenly creatures not body horror and I really like the frighteners mm. um, and I do Chronos like Kronos is body horror it adjacent, is yeah it? it is yeah I mean and a lot of that a lot of vampire stuff is yeah, for yeah, yeah. you know so yeah and again I think that you know that I think Kronos is quite a funny movie again it's just you know I like the physical yeah, you know yeah. that, that kind of that low budget innovation
0: and the other thing I mean again from an art more art house Perspective, and again adjacent to sort of French extremism. Claire Denis' Trouble Every Day Mm. and High Life as well has body horror elements. I was thinking also of Son of Cronenberg's Possessor. Yeah, definitely watch that if you haven't if you haven't seen it. And then the big one in terms of sort of historically that I think you know you look at the lineage going back um, from a French perspective is Man Bites Dog, Mm. which does contain that kind of black horror. Black black comedy element of the horror where it's making the audience uncomfortable for laughing, so it gives them the gives them the humour and then, you know, punches them in the face yeah, yeah, with yeah.
1: the with the disgustingness. Let's say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a great example. Um, yeah, again, it's that it's that it's that I think it, it, it's most productive in that kind of satirical space. And obviously, man bites dog is quite a it's quite a pointed satire, isn't it? In 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 that sense. So yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of yeah, that sort of new. Which, but that's before the kind of the new French extreme period. But that, again, we're just the, the less and less humour. It's interesting thinking about those films when I was when that question came up. I was like, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of laughs in there. No, <laughs> you know, a lot of the stuff. It's it's it, everything's very very serious. Um, and I think that is why why those sort of films and sort of, you know Sam Raimi's Evil Dead films from that period hold up. You know, because they are interested in something but not just like ramming home this is a very earnest and serious thing it's like i'm going to smuggle it in with with bruce campbell which is always a good way of doing it i think sure
0: i hope that has uh hit your body horror spot there's a there's a list there that you can go to if you haven't seen many of them I mean, if you haven't seen the fly then you really are a poor cine,
1: cinephile <laughs> yeah i think that's the line isn't it that's the line if you're below the line on that then yeah forget you're about officially it. a bad cinephile sure
0: yeah. um Anything else you wanted to mention
1: or talk about? I did. Well, I saw um, all the old knives. Oh, okay, which I've yet to see, but it's on my list. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, on the Little Gold Men podcast, which I listen to, which is sort of an award season podcast, the question always comes up about Amazon in terms of like, what are they, what are they doing? Yeah. You know, and Ted hopes involved in a lot of stuff, and a lot of the doc stuff's really good, but it's like, what you know, what? And I noticed he produced the the Tender Bar, but they're kind of making that mid range dramatic, serious adult work, but it's not getting awards it's not and it's landing, not at is it? cinemas. You know, it's kind of just on the server. And I, I think obviously that's that doesn't feel like where the investment is, is intended. You yeah, know, I think yeah, it's intended yeah, to yeah. end up there with lots of laurels and it doesn't seem to be working at the moment. So this All the Old Knives is a strange film. Um, Chris Pine and Tandy Newton, kind of ex-lovers in Vienna, working for the CIA and in the embassy there. And there's a kind of a terrorist attack that goes badly. And then sort of it's eight years later and they're sort of reopening the case. And Chris Pine is sent out to investigate and sort of reconnect with Tandy Newton. And they had a thing from back mm. in the day. So it's an interesting setup. And it was a weird one because I was enjoying it. And I thought this is, you know, a nice enough movie. And then I watched it in two halves. And in between watching the first half and the second half, I just had a thought, you know, where I was just like, oh, I think it's this. Um And then when I went back in, literally within the first five minutes, I was like, it's this. And also realized that, oh, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting contemporary film production. You know, it's obviously shot very recently, I think, you know, and most of it is the two of them in a restaurant, a a sparse restaurant. You know, so it's like you started to see the almost the COVID impact. You know, Actually, actually, yeah, there's not very many locations here. And those locations are... There's very few people here. You so start, is it a serious talkie film, though? It's not like action. Serious, okay, it's not right. an action film. No, it's okay, it's a, right, it's a right, kind right. of Cold War drama, essentially, but transposed shit. to the yeah, the, yeah, t- yeah, the yeah, 2010s. Yeah, yeah. and it's got that kind of yeah. It's a whodunit, essentially, right? Like, you know, so at the start of the film, the the you, you realize that someone's someone within the CIA tipped off the terrorists in the in the station in Vienna, and sure. so Jonathan Pryce is in it, and Lawrence Fishburne and stuff, and it was one where I think that. Stepping away from it and coming back, I could, I could. When I came back, I could see the production. You know, I was like, oh, they had Lawrence Fishburne for a day. You know, right. So it's, he's in like three. You scenes. figured out the numbers
0: that it was being made by. yes yeah. <laughs> You know, and
1: it's weird because the gap. I think did it deserve? I know. I know you shouldn't watch a film in gaps, but obviously, sometimes you know, sometimes that's just the way it is at the moment. Um, yeah. but it was yeah. interesting because my the second half was definitely was flavored by the gap, and I thought it was it was enjoyable, but it definitely, I I, I, I knew how it was going to end, right, and that that sort of that um lessened the impact of the film. Um but again it was just it was a curious film I'm like these are these are recognizable stars in this movie. I j- I don't know who this movie is for now. Right. You know not not that movie should be for, but like in a kind of like yeah like would this be released now? How you know what 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 is this thing now? And yeah. it, it's a kind of curio in that sense and it's it's not it's not good enough to break through. Like it doesn't have anything about it where it's like in the same way that the Tender Bar which I really liked. I was like Who's how, going to see this How film? are you going to go to bat for this in yeah, that yeah, marketplace? And yeah, yeah, yeah. you like, how can you say you've got to see this thing? I would not recommend that you have to see this thing. Um, Streaming has
0: created a real serious marketing problem for movies. Yeah. And, and, and TV. And now, more and more TV, I yeah. think.
1: The, you know? Yeah, because there's so much TV. Like, how do you, how do you how stand do you out in the ground? Yeah.
0: And actually, it becomes... What's interesting It's like, it, it, I don't know how, if you ever feel like this as well. It, it, it's kind of like creating that cultural life let's i'm not that sounds grandiose but you know that that sense of i'm not going to engage with this but i am going to engage with this actually becomes more and more difficult because the identity of things is so uncertain Mm. you know because there may be good people in it but it may be but that's no guarantee of quality anymore. No. Do you know what I mean? It's like weird because I remember I was listening to the, the again, the listening to the, the Tony Scott stuff with the silver screen podcast. And they, in the middle one, they went to bat for, um, for Tom Cruise because he was in Top Gun. He was yep. in Days of Thunder with Tony Scott and, you know, We've talked about Tom. Cruise. We must do a Tom Cruise actual episode yep. or, an, or one of the films at least. Yeah, for sure. You know, and I, you know, I recognise a lot of people hate Tom Cruise, and you know, there's lots of problematic elements with the Scientology and all that. But it's amazing how, even when he had that lull with the whole Katie Holmes thing mm-hmm. and got kicked out of Paramount, before and after that lull, there's still a guarantee of quality around a Tom Cruise movie that is not there isn't there for for i mean who else is there where you just think there is a guarantee of quality mm. it's very rare i think these days yeah
1: it's you can yeah you kind of know that there's going to be a level of yeah of of enjoyment you are going to see on the screen yeah, yeah. tom
0: cruise is going to be everywhere doing everything and the money is on the screen you yeah, know
1: yeah for sure yeah um and that is hard to know where that is um but interesting. Which on the Paramount thing, I don't, have you ever read the Hollywood Econo- Economist? No, a really interesting book, um, and it talks about Tom Cruise's exit from Paramount. Yeah, it's about the business of movies, and it yeah, was, yeah, I read yeah. it about well, probably about ten or so years ago. But it's really interesting in terms of like the. the it reminds you that Tom Cruise was not kicked out of Paramount because he's a Scientologist or because he's weird. No, you know, like everything you think about yeah. why these things happen. Is 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 wrong? Like it's it's money.
0: Yeah, it was a it was a box office thing. It was nothing yeah, to do. It with it was Mission with, yeah. Impossible
1: two. Yeah, the deal he managed to get for that as a producer meant that he made more money than the studio. Yeah. So when that film made money, which you know, which it did, he made more money than the studio. And Paramount said we cannot have this situation. Yeah. Where uh, one person is earning more than the studio. Yeah, yeah, so that's yeah. why they got rid of Tom Cruise. Yeah. Like he could have done most things, and arguably some stars have. But if if they're if they're making the money for the studio and, and they know their place in the hierarchy mm. that's that, that it, it's maintained it's a really interesting book it talks about there's a great story about Arnie's deal for Terminator three yeah 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 which yeah, was yeah. like 30 million dollars regardless of whether the film gets made or not that was the contract that they signed yeah, yeah, so they, yeah. they signed this they pay 30 million for Arnie and then they have to make the film. The film's terrible. Yeah, film's but they terrible. don't have no choice but to no, make no, 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 no. it. Like just... But, they but that's a legacy
0: from Total Recall, isn't it? Because yeah. remember, that was the first one I think where he basically had veto over everything. Yeah. You know, it was like that moment where the director just doesn't doesn't matter anymore. You know. Yeah. Um, but we love but, Total Recall.
1: Do we love Total Recall?
0: The, the original, yeah. Oh, it's, I it's love Total a Total yeah. Recall. Well, that's <laughs> it's, an, it's great. I, I actually had that on my body horror list yeah, yeah, as well because it's very movie. funny yeah, it um,
1: is. and it's so grotesque yeah, in yeah, terms of. Yeah, it's at times. But it also feels like yeah, this you know, the the kind of the the fears of yeah. like radiation and nuclear kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's that yeah. It it, 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 it touches a real but nerve. Who else? that film.
0: I mean, even it, even I think Tom Cruise is is coming to the shelf life of him being able to open a movie who else is there that opens that, that opens a movie on their name mm. i just
1: uh who, brad pitt well but but does he leo? though leo leo probably is probably the last the last one that does that and i think that you know you look at the money that people even like gosling the movies that are not even the ones that are kind of franchisey or um yeah, at least yeah, kind yeah, of known yeah. property ones he's not he's not I think that, that, that no one's making that kind of money. Leo is probably the last after Cruise. Because, again, Brad Pitt doesn't really make the movies. You look at Ad Astra. Big, Oscary, y yeah. performance. No one, you know, no, no money. And uh, is there any women?
0: Movie. I don't think there is. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's like S- S- Meryl Streep still would in a kudos kind of way. But you're not going to, you know, she's not going to make an action blockbuster, yeah. is she? You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, it'd be interesting. Um, what was the, well, maybe Charlize Theron. yeah. Scarlett Johansson, maybe. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, but again, you know, she she wanted more. You know, she wanted a different deal. So, what her future looks like is be interesting to see what happens with that, with the Disney thing. But then Charlize Theron was in the old guard, but that where, that was a Netflix movie, you know. So our ideas of of opening mm. and where stars are again is completely but it goes skewered. Back
0: to the point the original point was what has streaming done to yeah, it's changed movies? All of that. Changed yeah, all of that, of it, like studio yeah. studio. Studi- I mean, it, it, again, it's about properties, isn't it, and brands. It's like. Yeah. Here's this brand with a
1: list of people in it. Yeah, 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 absolutely, and and which is easier to do if it's the Batman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, than it is because it's that's the property. That's what people are going to see. They're going yeah. to see that person as that thing, aren't they? Um, which is harder, you know? Which is again interesting to see what what the Northman does. It's and it's not even got those that level of people. You know, it's got the, all their faces on the poster, and I'm excited because I like Ethan Hawke, but. Ethan Hawke doesn't open a movie. No. Um, Bjork doesn't open a movie. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Um, and uh, yeah, so like, so where is the? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and what are people going to see? And I think that you know that certainly seeing it in a big town, mm. in a big multiplex at a big retail park, it was like you know, wow, this this yeah. place is you know there's a I mean, good hundred people here, which is, you know, but but I think the thing is like that will quickly dissipate if those pe- people hundred yeah. people tweet or go on Facebook, or whatever it is, or Instagram, I'm like, Mm. this movie's a pile of shit, you know, because I think it's going to be more of a risk for people in a way that it wasn't in the past, you know, it's like, because it doesn't look or feel like something that they know, Um, you know, so whether it's the audience who have, you know, that's the the old thing, isn't it? Like, you sort of said about Del Toro, have the audience caused this? Or are the audience responding to something which has been assumed that they want? Yeah, you know, and, and and who has caused that? You know, is it a studio thing? Is it a mm. streaming thing? You know, it's a it is an interesting question. Well, I mean, it's it's like the Pattinson thing
0: with Batman. I don't think people are going to see Pattinson. They're going to see Pattinson as Batman, aren't yeah. they? It's like the branding of the yeah yeah, yeah. of the of the quote unquote star because he's not a, a movie opener. In fact, even Twilight, he made a conscious decision then to be, become more of a
1: an actor, you know, character and that, actor. I that think that that's interesting, isn't it? Because you know that was the thing when he when he was in Twilight and then made those decisions and then when Daniel Radcliffe made the decisions that he made post Harry Potter there was this idea that all of those people would would turn up at Cosmopolis <laughs> or you know um, yeah, the one where he plays a, a corpse yeah. um, Swiss Army Man you yeah. know which just didn't happen no. you know because you can engage with all of that stuff without seeing it now yeah, like yeah, yeah. those fans can still be fans of Daniel Radcliffe and Robert Pattinson and talk about all of those films through memes on the internet. They never have to see it, but they can still be part of the fan machine and still say, we love Robert Pattinson. It's like, well, you didn't see, you know, you didn't see these films. Um, You didn't see The Lost City of Z, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Um, So yeah, like that that fan traffic is, it moves in a different way now. And it doesn't move backwards as we know, you know, remember when we did the Memento episode, you know, and we were surprised that people who love Nolan don't, they had their entry point yeah, and then they they might stay with that filmmaker. Sure, but that you know, well, w- how far do they go back? Will they go back? And it is a very different relationship that audiences have with with this stuff now. But I'm just glad that it's still there. And you know, I was I was pleased that all the old knives popped up because it was like, oh, actually, yeah, this is this will be a, a fun watch. But yeah, it's really hard to see how that's a s- sustainable model because yeah, yeah. it's obviously an, it, even at that level, it's an expensive movie. Um, a lot of people involved. So yeah. Well, the last thing I just wanted to
0: mention was that I rewatched Joker, and I really, really oh, yeah, enjoyed yeah, it. Oh yeah, you did. I yeah. Really enjoyed it, and I, the reason I enjoyed it as well is because the the proximity of watching to to Nightmare Alley. Yeah, yeah. And I got the sense of the beauty and just the sort of the attention to detail and the imagery, and much more interesting imagery in Joker mm. than in Nightmare. I mean, you know. Yeah, the beauty of the, of, like I said, the controlledness of the of the lighting and the, yeah, yeah. you know, the depth of field in, in Nightmare L is amazing. But then just, I mean, there were just elements of the syncing up of Joaquin Phoenix's performance to what the character was going through. And then in him inhabiting the space and the way he was being photographed, I thought was just really well done. Mm. There's a great scene when he, he basically, for the first time, beats up people who have... Who have been beating him up on the train? You know, yeah, the, yeah. at the beginning he gets the shit kicked out of him, and then the, the, there's this moment where he's halfway through the movie where he kind of becomes the Joker, and he goes to this bathroom and and Whacking Phoenix just sort of does this almost like a Tai Chi thing in front of the mirror, and it just lingers on him like, and it's it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. It's really sort of just gives you that kind of the, the here is somebody metamorph emphasizing into this character that you know that we all kind of oh, recognize right. I, I still think it doesn't kind of know where it's going because it uh, there was no sort of sense of what was coming next i think after the film <laughs> you know was there going to be a batman that synced up to this yeah, which yeah. clearly wasn't going to happen and it, you know it leads into that you know in again the the in, the, 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 the straight white guys are the, the incels are the evil ones in a really easy way but yeah, it's just, a, and, and again, what's funny is sometimes I think that when you've got a high def TV and you're watching it in 4K and you're quite close up to it, that gives you a, a really intimate experience in a way that that can kind of be, I don't want to say better than going to the big, big screen, but you you see the detail in a really, really nice way. So I, I really, yeah, I enjoyed it an awful lot more than I did, I think, first time round, And I think possibly because as you were saying there, with with Nightmare Rally, uh, beyond the discourse, I wasn't listening to yeah. ev- all the fanboys saying this is the greatest thing that's ever been made. Yeah, and I could take it for what it was.
1: Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard to avoid that stuff, even when you're kind of trying. You know, because it is just it is more, almost like when you open the screen, just the the shouting. You yeah. know, it's really hard to yeah. find. Like you know, this movie, you know what I mean? <laughs> this is the best movie ever made. You yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like? You know, there's a great. Have you? I don't know if there's a great. I think it's a Bordwell book David Bordwell book about early film critics Yeah, it's like the pioneers of film criticism. I can't remember the name of it but it's such a great book about you know and what I loved about that book and I've certainly carried it with me you know is you know is is this this idea that you know that those critics would would know what it takes to make a film in a sense of like it's the fact that anything gets made that's coherent just in the, the sheer mechanics of making a film is remarkable. So they went in looking for moments, you know, they they weren't looking for this whole big unified thing because like that's a very hard thing to do. So when it happens, great. But but it's like, where is the filmmaking in here that's really great, yeah. you know? And they would see it once, obviously, you know, so it's like they're looking for where the film is, doing the thing that the film... The, the film should be doing not yeah, yeah, you know yeah, the yeah. cinematic thing um and obviously if it's doing other things great but it was they were just much more forgiving of this idea that it, it that all of it should be great and all of it should work you know and all of it should be and that's the thing is it's like you, i've seen that more since reading that book and felt that more and yeah. certainly doing you know writing the book about music docs like a lot of the things i'm talking about is like i can have this conversation about the taylor swift film and i'm like yeah the film's okay. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, this yeah, bit yeah. in it and you do have to watch the whole thing to see the bit but this bit is where it's doing something really great and really interesting and it's important you know and it's this bit's important the film is probably not but so I, I, I love the idea of going back in and saying well actually these things are great Yeah, you know and who cares that the script doesn't work or the messaging's off like you know what, what, what are we here for well we're here for these moments you know yeah, yeah, and yeah. when there's a the reason that we've got our favourite films are because for us it's all those moments, sure. But but if we're going in, and and that's the thing is, it's like we've got to go in, and everything has to be great, and everything has to be understood and clear, and you know, politically aligned with yeah, our yeah, beliefs. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. It's like I don't. That's not what I'm interested in, no. you know. And also, like I know how hard it is to make a movie anyway. So trying to be a bit more, which I guess I think is why Night Rally annoyed me. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, you, I, this was easier to make than those other things probably sure. you know even easier than joker i guess in terms of the weight of context going in that is, uh, is so big like how yeah. do you how do you how do you get anything interesting out of this stuff yeah when all of those voices and all those eyes are yeah you know? waiting for yeah yeah what it is and it should be celebrated actually like there's this scene with one with the greatest actor of our time yeah doing something which is perfect for the medium yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah yeah so I, sh- I shall rewatch watch at some point with a yeah, yeah
0: do that I did it while while ironing so that's my uh, domesticated labor was Joker at the two and a half hours it killed that you know,
1: how that, it was that, intended that to show. be seen I think I think <laughs> that's definitely true
0: you know it's uh, phenomenological watching you know at its best now all of our
1: all of our audience will have that image yes of you. whenever you're talking about stuff like, was that was he ironing, was it
0: ironing while that was going on you know well yeah. there you that, go, that's the
1: you new know. measure isn't it it's not thumbs up or thumbs down it's, this is a good ironing movie got, yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> that's the next one
0: episode good hiding movies <laughs> good hiding movies
1: um, well it's great to have you here
0: uh, thanks very much for that, for that chat hope everybody's enjoyed our kind of like pop up episode of absolutely this
1: um, yeah no it's yeah it's just it's nice to be back in the room with you it's nice to be doing this still um, and yeah just chatting what do they say shooting the breeze shooting about the movies breeze. it's been really fun and I hope people have enjoyed it great
0: so this has been The Cinematologist thanks for listening